there, I'm Dr. Amy King, otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a professional who wants to have a greater impact in the lives of children and families by building resilience, this podcast is for you. Join us to become a trauma-informed champion by nurturing connections through relational health to help kids and families thrive. Every time you join me, you'll hear practical information and leave with tangible tools you can use every day. Well, hello, friends. Today, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Danny Verona. She is a licensed occupational therapist who has been serving the needs of families for over 36 years. She specializes in infants, children, and parenting and has gained her experience through working in schools, clinics, home visiting programs, and hospitals. As a mother of three and a grandmother to a freshman in high school, Danny brings her love of learning and family into her experience. She is an infant massage program instructor, a fifth degree black belt karate instructor, and program director of a neurodiverse inclusive karate program she created through the Family Martial Arts Academy in Beaverton, Oregon. And she is a certified zero balance practitioner. Danny now practices in her private clinic that she has designed to support children and their families specifically and how they can discover the best ways to optimize their personal processing and regulation needs. Danny has developed tools and programs to support individuals in learning more about their body's needs, as well as how their thinking and neurological processes impacts their ability to learn, regulate, and interact with others. Welcome, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. It's very exciting to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. A lot of information there in your bio. That's your formal bio. Is there anything else you want people to know about you or what you're doing in the world right now? Um, I think what they should know about me is that this whole love of mine for studying processing is a is also a self-reflective process. So whenever I get the opportunity to talk about processing, I marvel at my own processing and I go, wow, is that what I was thinking? So we'll see. <laughs> It'll be fun for me to hear for myself what I put into words as to what I'm thinking. Yeah. The meta, the meta we're going to reflect on. <laughs> the meta of it. Yeah. And so that process of, of always being self-reflective and learning um, is, is what I, what I get out of everything and try to bring to everything. Yeah. So I want to just kind of ground people in a little bit of background. So um, most of the listeners know that I work in Oregon. Danny also works in Oregon as an occupational therapist. And our early years and collaboration was a referral system. And I just want to let people know that the voice that you're hearing in Danny today is um, a voice of safety, mostly for families that I've worked with. And I can't even begin to tell you, Danny, you know, when I started looking for people to refer to for occupational therapy needs for kids with neurodivergence or disability of any type, or just for a general screening of, you know, what was, what's going on with this kiddo. Um, I had kids tell me things like, I never want to leave Danny's house. Mm -hmm. I have parents or your clinic, excuse me, or I have parents and caregivers say to me, I felt seen for the first time. I feel like she really tried to understand our family and what was going on. So I want to just back up a little bit and ask you to tell me, like, what is your grounding philosophy about working with kids and families that have diverse needs? Well, first and 
foremost, it's that every person that's in front of me is a whole person and that no one comes with deficits or things that are missing or wrong. They come as a processing person. So they're doing their best with the structure that is their biologic person and how they process. And they present before me in their wholeness. Um, you know, I, I love the fact that the word holy refers to whole, you know, W-H-O-L. So that it, that it is a holy process to be in with a person and to see them as whole. And that the fun is in the interest and the novelty is in just meeting that person in their wholeness to see how we can exchange information and come together to collaborate. And whether that's to collaborate because we're going to work on something or just to collaborate in can we communicate in this moment? So, you know, when kids and families come to me, the initial assessment is not a formal assessment. It really is a series of almost like this podcast where I just want to hear, what, what do you want to tell me? What do you think is fun? What, you know, what do you like to do? What occupies your time, which is where occupational comes from, right? Like, I think our profession has come a really long way in people understanding what occupational therapy is, but, but there's still some like, well, doesn't that have to do with your, your job and how you get paid? Mm -hmm. um, but it refers to what occupies your time, um, your mind, and your daily function. So I want to hear what is it that your brain finds salient, salient and interesting. And from there, can we talk about anything that you would like to see get be easier for you? Or is there something we could collaborate some more on? And that I really see it as a collaboration that they're, they're not coming to me because I hold something better or greater or more than them as much as we're going to be able to collaborate. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much there that I appreciate and, and love. Um, whether you're an occupational therapist or another professional listening to this, a teacher, a pediatrician, a home visitor, um, I hear something really important in your message, which is about seeing the whole person. Do you feel like as professionals, we kind of parse out bits of people? I think that the structures and the institutions that need to exist so that we can have this as our professions, um, that we can have avenues through which we connect, which, you know, our insurance companies and um, financial institutions that allow us to, to do the work and, and work in the traditional sense of this is a job and mm -hmm. I'm going to hold it in high importance knowing that there's value in it. Um, I, think, I think that a lot of the institutions that exist have brought us to work on the skill of finding out what's wrong or finding out what we can code for the, for the mm -hmm. books, for the insurance payments, or even to share within the schools, even if it isn't, you know, an insurance-based, you know, the schools want to know what's wrong. Right. Right. And um, not that they too don't see this child as, you know, as this lovely, um, precious being, but 
here's what I have to give as a teacher. Here's what I have to mm -hmm. give as a parent. And when I do try to collaborate, like we were just talking about, something's not working. Could you tell me what's wrong? Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that, that thinking, right? I mean, IEPs are created based on deficits, right? Um, insurance models are based on a deficit model or something right. being wrong or us diagnosing or coding something. So whether you're in schools or, or health professions, I think that's a really helpful way. So it's almost like you're saying, well, yes, we have to like partner with people that are paying us or make sure kids are getting services. And then we need to kind of back up and look at the whole child in front of us or the whole system. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and to your <laughs> earlier question about, or comment, very sweet comment to me about the family too feeling included that, you know, we're looking at, yes, the individual processing systems, but we don't get to exist. Our neural neurobiologic systems can't exist without others. And mm -hmm. so even within an individual system, what you're looking at is a system that's processing with other systems, therefore mm -hmm. the family, right? Mm -hmm. So you are again, stepping back into even more of a wholeness. And then when we talk about, you know, where do you function? Where do you take who you are and function in this world? You know, the circle just keeps going out. So whether that's mm -hmm. school or homeschool, or, um, you know, I have kids that I see that aren't able to be educated at home or in school. So they're in other educational type um, settings, ABA sure. settings or. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never heard someone describe occupational therapy the way that you did, like what occupies your time, what occupies your mind and functioning. Mm -hmm. Thinking about it that way must open a conversation that's completely different than a parent who you know, seemingly is bringing their child to you to fix something with their vestibular system or with right. their motor skills or, you know, anything like that. So how does that shift the conversation? Um, the conversation with a the person who's coming with an assumption about what OT is or? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, how does it shift the conversation from fix my kid, right? They've been diagnosed with X, Y, or Z to mm -hmm. let's talk about, you mm -hmm. know, your overall functioning and what's occupying your time and space and mind. Yeah. It, it shifts it in a way that I think reflects again, what you kindly said in terms of, of sort of stepping back and looking at it overall. Um, and it shifts it in a way, and I don't know, I'm always interested how other occupational therapists define, this feels like it's just sort of a lived way. Um, I do remember exercises in school regarding how do we identify, how do we talk about what we do? Um, and so, so for me, that it, it just shifts it into the fact that, which lends itself also to this idea that what is it that's framing up our processing as well, right? So, so to step back and look at that bigger picture is also going to give us an indication of, again, what's the frame that the brain is processing the input through, so to speak, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
I was actually at a wedding recently and talking to somebody that I really like, a friend of mine's dad, who's now almost 90 years old. And he was talking about how moving, you know, just to stand up with me to walk over to the next point in the, in the wedding, he felt teetery and, you know, that there was, um, he felt challenges in movement and pain in movement. And then he said to me, um, and the only time I don't feel it is when I'm on the golf course. And that in, when he gets out on that golf course, his frame for how his body moves is very specific to being on the golf course and hitting the ball. Mm -hmm. And even talking about it, I watched his system frame up under that, which was not a teetery tottery, right? So Mm -hmm. our frames, what we're doing heavily influence our processing and then how our body systems line up behind that. Wow. mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, so do you have an example of what that might look like in a classroom, for instance, a frame for a kid that you try to help them see themselves in or through? So, you know, within the classroom, um, in the classroom, let me think about this. Can I take it to one that feels a little more familiar that I actively do? So, um, in my sensory gym, there's a trampoline and swings and crash pads and different things we can do. And, I might have a child be up on the swing and intentionally wanting to practice something that makes them a little bit nervous, which in here is jumping from the swing onto the crash pad. (laughs) And some of them will want to, and they'll understand the task. And so our, our finished product, they understand me from here to there. And their self-identity, their frame for that is, I'm not sure I can do it. Yeah. Right. So then we might say something like, well, who could do it? And they might talk about a superhero or someone they know, or if they can't come up with anybody, I will say, I'm really nervous too. And I'm not that good at it, but I can kind of do it if you want to see me do it. So we come up with someone that can do it Mm -hmm. and it might be what they just saw by me doing it, or they might have come up with a superhero and mm-hmm. oh now i can frame up over this pos- under this possibility and i can sometimes watch as if an invisible cape just went on and then they psh, they go oh my god this is so so <laughs> good i mean like so if you're a therapist listening right now like a mental health therapist you're thinking this is an externalizing approach that danny's right. just suggested right we're creating right. this like externalization narrative But like, if you're a teacher, I'm just thinking about like a kid who's struggling in math or a a kid who's struggling to make friends or like, and this is even like maybe even outside of the OT sphere, but it's really about envisioning yourself. Like, like, can you imagine somebody that would be spectacular at math? Can you imagine someone who has confidence about making friends and keeping them and then putting them in that mindset that they can do it, can think about doing it? I just imagine you see so much increase in like growth and confidence and trying on a different hat. Yes. And I think that a key to that is a piece that I do share with teachers and parents. And I actively um, give tools is the idea that, again, if we look at each of us as processors, sort of processing units, the 
piece around, okay, what's my processing unit? Who am I in this moment? Then the next piece of what really is the end product? So Sarah Ward is somebody that's presented here in our district in regards to executive functioning. And she's got a concept that she calls uh, the done box. And I've taken and just run with the done box as a concept. And the kids that come here to therapy, they can do uh, done boxes, do done boxes. They can tell me what their done boxes. So if I have them again, like jumping on the trampoline and they're going to work on their vestibular and their fine, mo uh, pardon me, gross motor balance, and then their visual motor skills of throwing a beanbag at a stack of bricks, I will say to them, hey, what's the done box for this activity? How will you know it's done and it's successfully done. And my kids know that it means, can you describe, and I'll write it down. Sometimes we'll do a picture. Sometimes it'll just be verbal, but we will talk. They will say, I'll know I'm done because the bricks are knocked down. Wow. Right. And so there again, that is a frame of, I did it. If they can talk about what it looks like when it's finished, that's mm -hmm. another, like, I can do this. I'm not stuck in the wiggly feeling. Mm -hmm. Am I going to be able to do this? I'm like, okay, that's what it looks like when it's done. And now we're both on the same page and then we can line up what are the next steps. And mm -hmm. if we need to be a superhero to get to the done, if we need to watch Miss Danny do it one time, or um, if there's a brother or a sister or all kinds of things, or if they say there, you know, all the bricks will be knocked down. And then I say, okay, does that seem like something we should try and do? And they say, it feels way too far away. Well, then yeah. let's talk about an adjustment that lets you feel like you could get to the done. I love that so much. Just like approximations towards their goal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I just like, I, I know people that are listening, this is why I love Danny, right? Cause this is like, not just occupy, this is like life coach work, right? This is like, how do we get to our end goal? How will you know when it's done? I had this experience recently, Danny, where my community relations manager made a, a new card in our business management software. And it, the card was called, we did it. And I was like, Oh my God, just seeing that we have a new category, we did it, makes me feel like we can do it. Exactly. And it felt, it was so empowering. And that's exactly what you're talking about is like this done box. I, I, I appreciate it so much. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I imagine often, you know, families and kids that are coming to you may have disability and or neurodivergence in some capacity. And you know, for professionals that might be listening, can you just talk about, first of all, how you connect with them in meaningful ways? And then maybe we could, you know, um, extend that towards how other professionals can connect with kids that feel sometimes hard to connect with. Sure. So in the frame of the way I think, um, and I, my internal framework for approaching people, we talked about it a little already, is the 
a piece that might seem different, and I hope I can simply put this because this is where I've been doing a lot of writing. And so mm -hmm. I feel like I could say 20,000 words or I can try and get it down to a single concept here, is this idea that <clears throat> we have all different kinds of processing systems within us. We have our biologic processing systems that just keep us up and running. Um, we have defense mechanisms that are there to protect us um, as we're attempting to do something. We want to make sure, as you alluded to earlier, that we feel safe and it's going to be okay. Um, and then we have what I call our spectrum of interpersonal thinking. So that's a coined term I'm using that I'm, I'm talking with families and kids about. And what I mean by that is anytime we're with each other, we're going to be including in some aspect that other person's thoughts or an awareness mm -hmm. about them. Now, the complexity and the levels at which we can interact and make guesses about each other's thoughts is very different amongst all of us. Mm -hmm. Our ability to use our processing system as it is within our structure um, what other systems are running? How's our language processing? Is this a language heavy situation? Am I going to be able to think about you if your language is really hard for me? If you're using really complex words, mm -hmm. if you're not supporting um, with good visual information, that big brain organizer. So, so, you know, what's going on in terms of the ask for thinking about the other person? And because we're social creatures that only get to exist by being together, there's an unconscious assumption that everyone has a high level of ability to think about each other. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. We meet people with all different kinds of levels of ability to think about each other mm -hmm. with all kinds of strengths that come with that. We know really, you know, um, the um, Neurotribes books, uh, I think that's Silverman's book, um, you know, talks about the greatest innovators of our time are those thinkers and innovators who really would have been considered and still to this day are considered somewhat socially awkward. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm putting in quotes. And really, it's just that their social processing is not that primary processor. They've mm -hmm. got all kinds of internal, powerful machines running that are putting together novel concepts and ideas and deep, deep thinking that would kind of get interrupted if they had to constantly be thinking about, well, what, do you, what are you thinking? And what am, should I be thinking about something you're doing over there, right? So in recognizing that we're neurodiverse, all of us, because of these different um, awarenesses of each other and processing complexities and integration skills, I approach each person with this idea that you don't have to have a high social processing skill level. Mm. I will meet you wherever we are. I will make my communications as clear as possible to you. I will not expect you to pay attention to me just because I'm speaking. Mm. So I want a, an activity, the thing we're doing to be that joined attention versus mm -hmm. you thinking you have to have all your focus on me. 
so we can get into that we state without having to have a heavy you consideration, if that language makes sense. It's, it's at its core, so compassionate mm. and trauma-informed, right? Because you're recognizing this whole person. And, and I guess here's what I would say, and I'm playing devil's advocate for the sake of conversation. And that is, but Danny, we value most the social processing. And so what would you say to someone, right? It's like, well, you have to understand what I'm thinking and how I am and what I need in order to be in relationship right now. So even your statement of you have to be would be mm -hmm. considered a high demand you, yeah. right? So, so in you just thinking, I want to connect with you. I want to be here for you, but I want you to spend a lot of energy thinking about me. It's just so, it's all prickly. I'm making hand motions like, yeah. ah, how does that work? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? It didn't, it doesn't to me make sense. And it's sort of how I've always operated, but I've been getting better at how, about what I think is going on and why it makes that so prickly and hard. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, our language and our pronouns just even make this conversation really tricky. You know, the ability to say, yeah. thinking about you, yeah. thinking about me, me think, you know, I mean, it just gets so crazy messy, but isn't it interesting mm -hmm. that the folks who have a hard time with pronouns are also having a hard time with, you know, these concepts that we're talking about too. Yeah. 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 And I just love that you so compassionately say that it may be that this person who, you know, I'm reading as not in tune or in sync, right? It's just that their processing, their primary processing is that they're solving equations in their mind or they're thinking about, you know, their engineering brain is thinking brilliantly about how to solve a problem. Um, and so they don't have the capacity to like take care of my social needs at that moment, right? right. And so I think that that's such a, beautifully compassionate way to think about things. Um, but I and imagine it's also what creates difficulty. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and I just want to really make clear that that does not mean that there's a lack of connection, a desire mm -hmm. for connection, mm -hmm. a deep, even empathy, um, and drive, to be caring and to be with other people. The, these, these are not, um, these don't go hand in hand. We really are just talking about almost like um, on a computer, the different versions and apps that we have available that whatever we want to be doing makes it more efficient to be doing what we want to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. And again, you can, you can develop um, increase in complexity, uh, if that is your personal desire, mm -hmm. but it, there again, if it's someone else's desire that that's, that's going to, that's where some of the challenges are going to be. Right. So, yeah. so if a parent is coming and saying, I'm really struggling to connect, mm -hmm. um, it, it's, or a teacher is saying, I don't know, I, I say things and he, the student thing seems like they don't care, right? Mm, and those I'm, are so common. Right. 
and I really want them to care. Um, and the kids will say things like, well, because it's boring or, you know, um, they, they are getting mad when you can tell they want to connect with, with other students. And, you know, they, they talk about wanting to have friends and that you see these behaviors that really make us on the outside get confused and mm -hmm. feel like, well, those behaviors are doing the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so to, to then think about, you know, well, it's not about a lack of wanting to connect. And yes, we want them to get the opportunity to practice, um, but we might be having to tune in in a different way is, mm -hmm. is what I'm proposing here today and what I'm, you know, what I'm really wanting to share um, with teachers and parents. So Mm -hmm. is I'm, I'm thinking of an analogy in my brain because you said something about operating systems and it made me think of like literal operating systems in a computer or like apps on a phone right it's like if I'm operating on whatever Windows 2.0 and you're operating out of a different you know processing system neither is wrong that's right, right? it's just that this is my this is the system that I'm operating from this is what's forefront on my computer screen so to speak that's right? right that's right so would you say that you're encouraging then that parent, for instance, to be more in tune with that person's processing system in order to find some common ground or connection points? Well, what I've been sharing with parents and what um, I'm hoping to be able to get more writing about so that, you know, if you want to learn more about this and, and my personal approach, that it'll be available, is that first we just need to recognize that there's an operating system that has to do with uh, interpersonal interactions with being social, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that that operating system, I've broken it down into three components. It has its own internal prioritization. Again, just like you said, what's the one up and running, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. And then you've got the complexity of wherever that system is at. And then the third one is, and how is that integrating with other systems that need to be supporting? What's the concurrent operations? Again, are we language, reading, is the defense mechanisms up so high that they're overriding? So there, there's, there's multiple things for us to look at. Um, and so just being aware of that as I explain it to parents and then for some of my teens and preteens as I describe that this is how the brain works. I, I have literally like my heart has, has felt a, a breath and I hear a breath as they go, oh, that's it. Mm. You know, not that I'm lacking in some skill, not mm. that, you know, there's something wrong that there's this, this seems just to be the way of it. Mm. And once we kind of recognize that using language and supporting sensory information to, again, like I was saying, I sort of do as part of my personal practice. If it is a situation in which we want that system to know, I'm, I'm going to be presenting to you, I'm going to be talking to you, and I'm going to need you to be thinking about me, right? Mm -hmm. I might even just say that 
right? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be the whole time. You don't mm -hmm. even have to agree with me, but I do just need you to kind of think about me as I present this information mm -hmm. and then we can get to a done box or then we can figure out if there's an adjustment. Mm -hmm. um, or if your friend is saying something to you, um, you might just have to think about him just for a moment and then you guys can get back to the activity that you want to do. Mm -hmm. So if that demand of you can be really framed up that that can literally like, like you were saying, pull, pull that program up onto the operating system yes. so that it can be used. But to assume that it needs to run high all the time is where I believe a lot of social anxiety, performance anxiety, um, it, all of the defense mechanisms having to come up because no one likes to feel like, well, I, I'm not going to be able to, to do this. This, I can tell this is what's being asked and I might not be able to articulate it, but this isn't how I do this. Yeah. Right. And so then we get, yeah. It's it, on a very practical level, Danny, you know, we do, we, I think we, especially, people who would be self-proclaimed extroverts, right? <clears throat> Expect other people to operate on that level all the time. And there's a lot of judgment and recrimination for people who aren't operating like that. And, and there shame. was no greater, and tons of shame, right? Yeah. And then exclusion. And um, there's no greater learning opportunity than when you become a mom, right? And I, my daughter, who's now launched successfully into college this last week, as you know, um, when she was like two or three years old, I thought for sure, like I needed to have her hearing checked or something was wrong with her because she wasn't as interested in being social <laughs> as I was. And, and some very sweet, compassionate friend said, I think she's a little bit more introverted than you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> and, and to your point, right? Like I kind of, myself operate in this like feelings relational state all the time. It's also because I'm a psychologist, right? Mm -hmm. And to have the compassion, whether you're a helper or a teacher or somebody who is really attuned in that space and it is your operating system that it doesn't have to be judgmental. It doesn't have to be um, shaming. And, and actually, if you could just explicitly say to someone, Hey, I need you to operate in this sphere for just a moment. And then you can go back to what you're doing. It sounds like it's a much more respectful approach. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels better because it is sort of its own done box. <laughs> I keep saying yeah. done box and the kids are tired yeah. of hearing me say done box. There's other language that makes it feel not so gimmicky, but it is that idea. Cause whenever we're together, we want to feel like we're operating towards sort of a same goal, whether it's just sharing time together, actually getting something accomplished, right? We There are these different sort of, again, unconscious goals we have in mind whenever we're together. Yeah. You know, the other thing, and, and correct my language, Danny, the other thing I hear you saying is that we can actually accomplish things and you don't have to take care of me. Right. Yeah. And that, that's a tricky one, I think, for a lot of professionals. Yes. Um, and, parents, I was, and parents probably, oh, and siblings. And, yeah. and, and husbands and wives and moms. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, anytime. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, we are, we are doing beings. <laughs> we, we, we function to do, right? Um, 
our brains are designed to always be predicting what's about to come next. Mm-hmm. Um, as an occupational therapist and a studier of movement between, you know, the martial arts and my infant massage and the zero balancing, you know, I'm very much of the theoretical model that we are structures that exist to do things, right? Mm-hmm. And all of the inputs that come in through our system the external inputs, the extraceptive information, and the internal, your introceptors. So that's a lot of bits of information that have the potential to be coming in. Your brain is predicting what's going to come next. What information do I need to have come in as salient as I compare it to what I'm predicting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is sort of the, the neuroscientist. This is the new modeling. We've got some amazing neuroscience that's going right along with artificial intelligence, right? So we're trying to figure out how, how do these things work? And so in motor learning theory, we always knew that we're taking in information because the only way that we have to respond to our predictions, to the input, is we have our motor output system. So every single response you make is a motor output of some kind. Your eyes moving, your ears, the little muscles turn so you can listen. Everything is a motor output. And then you have your thoughts. So that's how the information gets processed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, that's another frame in terms of you know, what's the body looking to do next? And so I want a piece of that, you know, in terms of what you're predicting to your original statement, not always have to be that you are taking care of me. There's just so much (laughs) that you're trying to do just by being here Mm -hmm. that, you know, Um, if we can get to a a level where we both feel pretty good about what the to do next is, we're going to, we're going to be able to keep moving forward. We're going to feel like we had a good, um, collaborative, we experience. I kind of went off on a tangent. I do that. Okay. That's perfect. perfect. (laughs) Give, Give me a couple of just really practical conversation starters that a parent or a professional might use that honors that whole self of another person and is wanting some connection at that moment. And is wanting, can, can you maybe give me a, yeah, give me a little micro, a little more. I'm out in the macro here. I'll go back to the example that you gave before. Mm -hmm. Um, A teacher has a tween or a teen in their classroom and um, you know, they don't seem to care about what's happening in the classroom and they seem kind of tuned out and in their own world sometimes. And um, maybe they're even engaging in, you know, some uh, vestibular self-stimming or something like that. And they want that kid to be like part of the community of their classroom and participating. And so the, the behavior that they're seeing is disengagement. Mm-hmm. What they're wanting is for this child, I think, with good intention to be part of the community of learners that is there, how might that person approach that child with this different lens that you're talking about? 
I think that in those situations, especially in the classroom, um, there's usually a something to do. There, there's something, if, if they are not appearing to care or they're not appearing to have been engaged in whatever the do was that the teacher was asking of the classroom, that being able to check in on that, right? Mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. what's the activity? And Love if it. there's ever an ability to bring a visual mm -hmm. and to come alongside to reference that visual. So let, let's say it is, um, you know, a, a, a worksheet or, or um, something that they're supposed to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I want to come alongside because coming alongside is going to feel more like it's, it's you and me, but you don't have to think about the you in this, right? Which is the me. There's those pronouns, <laughs> right? And then I'm just going to say, like, I just want to check in and maybe I'm pointing to that paper or if the, it's their Chromebook. I'm like, I just want to check in on how this is going. Mm -hmm. Do you have questions about what that might look like when it's done? Mm -hmm. Or, and they're like, no, I know I'm supposed to finish the worksheet. Okay, yeah, that's great. And then I use, um, Amy, what I call seeing first, seeing, thinking, then feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so seeing, thinking, feeling, I'm going to talk to the kids in that order. Um, and to me, this is trauma-informed as well. So again, what I'm seeing is what I'm going to speak to. And it's not going to be... Um, anything that the kid's going to have no idea what I'm talking right. about, right? right? So I might say, okay, so I'm, I'm seeing that your worksheet is empty, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like, so do we agree to that? So I'm thinking, seeing, thinking. So I'm thinking maybe you do have a question or there's something about getting started here, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's going to help me to kind of see where we're at and 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 speak to the thing or the done of it. And and that could also be in a social situation, right? Maybe the child was asked to get with a partner and the partner is giving you a look like he's not coming over here at all. What am I supposed to do? Like he's he's I can't get to him, right? You know, even there, I'm in it similarly, I might say point, come alongside and point to the partner. So your partner's over there and I see you're over here. Mm -hmm. Was, did you have a question about what you guys were going to do together? You know, just trying to open up and slow down the activity, what we're I love seeing, this. what, how do we get started? Because initiation and getting started is often a really tricky um first step, obviously, to anything, but it's often this piece that um, momentum can be, especially in the motor planning pieces mm -hmm. we were just talking about, can mm -hmm. sometimes be tricky as to, I don't know where to start. Maybe I have too many thoughts. Maybe I don't have any thoughts. Getting started is often one of the biggest challenges. Well, and I think, like you said, it's such a compassionate approach because then you're not assuming that they don't care or that they don't want to complete the task. So mm -hmm. seeing, feeling, and then how, seeing, thinking, and then how do you add in the feeling piece? So I'm seeing that you're, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, partners over there and you're over here. So it makes me think that maybe Mm -hmm. you don't understand the task or you need, maybe you have some questions and then how do you add the feeling piece in? So, um, if, if I can see in them, what I'm guessing is their feeling experience. So perhaps social anxiety is taken over. If maybe that. So something in them's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to go over to a partner. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I were to say, I see you over here, I'm thinking maybe you're not sure. Do you have a question? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, oh, so you're thinking you're not sure how to get started. And then I'm also seeing maybe you're feeling a little bit tense about this mm-hmm. or, um, a better example might be um, if I, I talk to teachers, you know, the classic example of one student has a, a toy in their hand and the other student wants that toy, so they grab it, right? And then we have all kinds of reasons we say impulsivity, you know, we have lots of names for when that happens. Um, and so classically, because we really want to develop the children's capacity for recognizing their feelings and build empathy and, and all these really valuable skills. Um, but if we're not a primary social spectrum thinker, then going right to feelings can be very confusing. Yes. Right? Yes. Look at your friend. He's crying. Why do you think he's crying? And I've had students be like, I, I don't know what his problem is. I, I wanted to. Right. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then we get really concerned. Is there a lack of empathy? You know, mm-hmm. and the little change might be, oh, I saw Joey had the truck and then I saw you walk up and put your hand on it and now you have the truck. I'm thinking you wanted the truck. I'm thinking that you wanted the truck and that you were feeling excited about the truck. But now I'm also seeing that the friend is crying. I think he was thinking he wanted it too and that might be why he's feeling so sad. Oh my gosh. I I want everybody listening to hear a really important thing. At no point did Danny talk about how she felt. (laughs) Right. And we mess that up, I think, so much as adults, right? We get in kids' ways so often, right? Like, I'm so frustrated as your teacher. I'm so confused as your therapist or whatever. And it's not about you, right? right? Right. I mean, we just have to get out of kids' ways. And so what a beautiful script that you just created, right? And it filled in so many gaps for understanding in a compassionate way what a child might need in order to feel supported in that moment and in order to not feel misunderstood. I just think there's so much misunderstanding when it comes to um, different ways of thinking and being in our world that we really haven't had that capacity to look beyond. Like, I think we assume that our operating system is the other person's operating system too. And so we should both be doing this at the same time, instead of asking Oh my gosh, going back to what you said at the very beginning, what occupies your mind? What occupies your time? And that 
provides so much more of a compassionate approach than I'm going to assume that you think like I think and that we're on the same operating systems. And therefore, if you don't, you must not care or you must not be motivated or this must not be important to you. I mean, I don't know. People are listening to this, Danny, and it's going to help marriages today too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, and I do want to say that I know as a teacher, there's so much that you're attempting or wanting to teach in a moment like that, right? That's like got so much there. And one of our big concerns is, well, you know, what about the one that's crying? Mm -hmm. And I hope that we were, you were able, as I was talking it through to see both parties got to be seen. That's right. Both both children were acknowledged for the experience that they were having. And when they're little, it's a little bit easier to have that space. You know, I really think some of our most brilliant thinkers are our preschool and kindergarten teachers, right? Because we're, we're, they're coming in before really complex language suddenly is supposed to be the primary way to process. And so they have these tools. They know they have to be visual as well as verbal. They know they've got to give space for processing. Right. And so I, I'm excited to perhaps have people in the audience who know they can still do that regardless of the age and that it is still important because we are a neurodiverse society of processors, Mm -hmm. as well as, and if you're in that group where you're already doing this, just that little shift can Mm -hmm. really let um, there be even more success with the opportunities that Mm -hmm. you are presented with. Yeah. I love that. And I want to just underscore um, a little formula that Danny gave a moment ago, whether you're a healthcare professional or teacher or ancillary professional, Um, that first we have to identify the task at hand, Mm -hmm. make sure we're all on the same page. And then if there's a visual, even better, and then come alongside with that person with this seeing, thinking, feeling framework. So, I mean, I just want to put that formula out there because I think that's the kind of stuff that really changes how people are interacting with, with kids and families. So Um, I know we're getting short on time here and I have a couple of rapid fire questions for you to wrap up. Okay. Okay. Um, So um, let me go to the first one, which is um, what's in your world right now, Danny, feeling magical and life-giving for you? Um, I love the change in the season. I like you have not, I don't know how many acres you have, but I have over an acre. So that means, and I love the outside. So that means, um, lots and lots of mowing, you know, right on mowing is like my jam. It's where all these ideas try to get put into words. (laughs) Um, so I love, love, love the season. And then I love the fact that in the shorter days and in the slowing of the growing, I also can slow down. I don't have to go out and and attend to quite as much. So I do like that there's this season of going into a little (laughs) bit of hibernation. Um, And then just, yeah, getting to do all all the things that I'm privileged to do, teaching the karate classes. Um, This Wednesday, we're doing our, we do a quarterly free offering to um, women for Mm -hmm. women's self-defense. So Mm -hmm. every time I teach the kids, I um, get to think more about what it really means to stay safe in this world 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, bringing that to the women's self-defense is cool. So that that's currently in my mind. And then just all my, all my kids, my three kids and my mm-hmm. grandson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband, if he listens and my husband <laughs> <laughs> doing all this with him. <laughs> you don't want to leave that out. Um, what is, what's one thing that people get wrong about occupational therapy? Oh, that we do, that we only do handwriting and um, if we're specialized feeding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. And final question. Um, yeah. It's 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving. Uh, what do you reach for, Danny? Okay. So I love that you ask everybody this question. So I wanted to come with an answer. And yet for the life of me, Amy, I barely stay up past nine (laughs) o'clock. I hit the pillow hard between the things that I occupy my time with. So if it's, if it's earlier, I will uh, go for some of my homemade ice cream, but if it's after nine, I'm out, there's nothing gets me up. Nice. Um, do you have a favorite flavor that you're a, a incredible queen of making? Um, I do get good reviews on my snickerdoodle. Nice. Yes. And then my husband wrinkles his nose at snickerdoodle and prefers the dark chocolate. Yeah. Oh, nice. I, I got it. I might be with your husband on that. Yeah. Um, Well, as we wrap up, Danny, um, I want to just give you a heartfelt thank you. Um, I can't even remember. I think we had some mutual people in our lives that helped us cross path decades ago. And I just am so grateful that your spirit is in this world, helping kids and families and, um, what I hear and how I have known you and felt you in this space. Um, I just, there needs to be more Dannys in the world. And I appreciate that you're, that you're in it. So thanks for, thanks for being on the podcast. I just can't say thank you enough. This has been just a fun, fun experience. I'm, I love podcasts. I love them. I listen to them all the time. And to think that I'm on one is like, I don't know. I feel a little, woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> a big so um, thank you so- for all you do. Absolutely. And we will link up to Danny's website and some other books that she mentioned about neurotribes in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing here, please download my free resource called 10 Guiding Principles to Nurture Connection and Help Children and Families Thrive. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you. And keep sharing yours because your humanity will heal others. Bye for now.